Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So glad you could join us. So many things happening around the world. It is essential for you to be able to note these current events, first of all, and then my broadcast partners coming to the broadcast table to give us information, details that you may not be hearing in mainstream media. And at the end of this broadcast of 90 Minutes, we will give you my prophetic perspective on all of the news in our world. Six broadcast partners standing by to do that. In the second half hour, Itamar Marcus will come Mike's side. We'll be talking about Joe Biden, president, now refunding the Palestinian Authority, which Itamar, I do believe, will tell us that will be funding for terrorism by the Palestinians as they try to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. And then Mike Gendron is going to report on a new film, a video that has been put out by Pope Francis there at the Vatican. It's talking about human fraternity. What does that mean? Does it have prophetic significance? Well, if you'll stay tuned, when my broadcast partners come to the table, we'll be able to explain this, and then my prophetic perspective will look at it a bit later. Ken Timmerman is the man who covers geopolitical activities. He's an international journalist and author. He travels all over the world. He knows what's happening that's why we go to him on a weekly basis. And Ken, let me begin with this. The secretary, the new secretary of state, Blinken, has said that Iran could be just weeks away from enough nuclear capabilities to have that nuclear weapon of mass destruction. What do you know on this story? Well, Jimmy, what Tony Blinken is saying to lawmakers is essentially we must return to the Iran nuclear deal, or else Iran will have a nuclear weapon. Now, what he's not telling you, and not telling the lawmakers either, is that the nuclear deal does nothing to put real limits on Iran's nuclear capabilities. But he's just trying to scare people into believing that it does. The Obama administration did exactly the same thing. They said if we do not negotiate this nuclear agreement with Iran, there will be war, because it is either capitulation to Iran or war. Those are the only choices that we have. They're the only two arrows that we have in the quiver of diplomacy with Iran. I happen to think that this is just a false notion and a misrepresentation of the advantages that the United States has after four years of President Trump putting extreme pressure on the Iranian regime through sanctions and diplomatic isolation, I don't think that we are at a point where we have a choice between making another bad nuclear deal with Iran or Iran getting a nuclear weapon. I think that's a false choice, but I think it's one, again, that the Biden regime is using to trick Congress into supporting its diplomatic options. And Ken, meanwhile, Iran is talking about their new mega missile. What is it? How dangerous is that to this nuclear program? Well, this is very real. And it's something that, again, the Biden administration doesn't want to talk about. They have not commented on Iran's recent launch of this new space launch.
launch vehicle. This is a very large missile. It's called the Zoljana. Usually, it includes two boosters with solid fuel. Now, solid fuel is important as a technology to master that the Iranians have not really mastered in such a large missile. This missile has a diameter of 1.5 meters. That happens to be exactly the width of many international nuclear-capable missiles. It's a very big missile, and the solid-fuel rockets have to be cast in special machines. That The solid fuel is basically heated up as a liquid and then poured into a mold where it must be cast without any imperfections. If there are imperfections in the liquid rocket fuel that solidifies, right, that turns into a solid as it cools down, basically the thing will blow up. So if the Iranians can master casting these very large solid fuel boosters, what it means is that they can use them for their nuclear-capable missiles, they can use them for offensive missiles that require no advanced preparation for launch. And that's really what it gets down to. When you have liquid fuel, it takes hours and hours and hours to, for the fuel to be transferred into the rocket on a gantry or in a launch area. And we can see that. You can see that with satellites. Uh, you can see it with overhead surveillance. With solid fuel, you need no preparation at all. The Ayatollah says launch, and two seconds later, the IRGC general says done. That's pretty quick, and in fact, it could be very dangerous if indeed Iran does become a nuclear powered. This last weekend, I've been reading a lot. A number of commentators are saying that President Biden and some of his new policies he's putting in place are getting rid of some of the old Trump policies, may actually risk putting the Middle East on a path to war. Is that a viable possibility? Well, I think President Biden has been reckless, frankly, in his first couple of weeks in office, and he has ignored the really dramatic progress made by President Trump with Israel and with Israel's Arab neighbors. When President Trump took office four years ago, the Israelis had basically been sidelined by the Obama-Biden administration. They, had, they were facing a hostile Iran and hostile Arab powers around them. Now, thanks to President Trump, Israel is at peace with the United Arab Emirates, with Bahrain, with Morocco, with Sudan, and these are signed peace treaties in addition to what they have with Egypt and with Jordan. This is really tremendous progress, and in the two weeks since he has been in office, uh, President Biden has not even called the Prime Minister of Israel once to confer with him, to talk to him, to just say hello. They haven't had a single conversation. I think this is really irresponsible on his part, but it also shows that he is going to return to the Obama policies where, as I've said many times uh, on these airwaves, it is safer to be an Ayatollah in Iran building nuclear weapons than a Jew building an apartment in his capital, Israel. Yes, that is of much concern as far as the Israelis and Prime Minister Netanyahu are concerned. I saw an interview on one of the cable networks this last week with Nikki Haley responding to a question about the new Biden administration. Remember, Nikki Haley used to be the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations. She made this statement, and it sounds like you agree with her in your last answer, that 
President Biden is snubbing Israel and cozying up to Iran. Boy, that could be very dangerous, couldn't it? Well, that's right. And that seems to be his priority. His priority seems to be to cut a deal with the Ayatollahs in Tehran at whatever cost and to allow them to continue with their missile programs. That's why, again, as, as I said in the opening here, he, he said not a word when the Iranians launched this new space launch uh, vehicle, which has a lot of the technologies that could be used for an ICBM, an intercontinental ballistic missile. So, yes, I think that uh, Joe Biden has shown he favors the Islamic State of Iran, and he is not particularly friendly towards the government of our democratic ally, Israel. Meanwhile, at the same time, we're looking at Russia. They're doing everything they can help to do for Syria to be able to keep and restore their airspace over their country from any attack by Israel. Now, Israel has to protect its nation and its citizens. Russia is going to have a conflict there, I do believe, don't you? Well, the Russians have been shoring up Syria's air defenses over several years, but increasingly supplying them with their pretty versatile short-range missile system called the Pantsir S-2. The Pantsir is capable of knocking down drones, it's capable of knocking down incoming missiles, and it's a big threat to Israeli aircraft. Now, the Israelis have been able to counter it so far, but it's at quite a cost with various devices that they have, countermeasure devices that they have. And this really brings into question the whole notion of Israel's qualitative edge. You know, we've, in Washington, we've spoken ab- about that for the past 40 to 50 years, making sure that the United States guarantees that Israel has a qualitative edge in its military hardware over its immediate neighbors. And the U.S. has felt a responsibility, and certainly Congress has felt a responsibility to make sure that Israel maintains that qualitative edge. What's interesting I find now is that even as Biden turns away from Israel, Israel has developed its own industrial capabilities to such a point that they are, I believe, getting close to being able to guarantee their qualitative edge over their neighbors by themselves without a great deal of U.S. government aid. And I tell you, it comes in the nick of time because they've got no friend in Washington, at least in the White House today. Give me about 20 seconds. China is ready to respond to any threats or provocations. That was stated by the Chinese even as a U.S. warship was crossing the Taiwan Strait. That's right. So in the, in the week that Biden took office, you had a U.S. aircraft carrier entering the South China Sea. And just a couple of days ago, you had the USS John McCain, which is a guided missile destroyer, uh, going off the coast of Taiwan. The Chinese are insisting that Taiwan will never become independent. We know they want to retake Taiwan. The question is, when are they going to feel confident enough that the United States will not oppose them? So far, Biden has said nothing about China's militaristic aims and their statements. Very interesting question you pose there, Ken. We appreciate you covering all of these geopolitical activities for us as you do so well each and every week. Thank you, my good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan standing by. He's got his Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. 
Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We need an hour and a half. I always let you know that in advance so that you can keep the dial set where it is and stay tuned as I bring my broadcast partners from across the world to my broadcast table to give you information. The details behind current events, you may not be hearing these details, but my guys are on top of the stories, and then I'll give a prophetic perspective at the end of the hour and a half. So glad you could join us as we're going to be talking with David Dolan now. He has his Middle East News update. Two late breaking bits of information, David. The first one, United States Senate approved Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish state of Israel. That vote was 97 to 3. Quite interestingly, the three who voted against it, I think there was a senator from Maryland, but Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders voted against it. But this is great news for Israel, is it not? It is, Jimmy. Ironic in that Bernie Sanders is one of a handful of Jewish senators, but uh, he voted against it. But yes, it shows the overwhelming support for that move. Again, it was the Senate and the Congress as a whole in the 90s that first voted to move the embassy to Jerusalem. So that was something that Joe Biden wasn't going to try to change. And as I said last week, they're actually expanding in building near the new embassy. That is great news to hear as well. Now, the other breaking story, David, when we got ready to go on the air, you mentioned to me something about the coronavirus situation in Israel coming out of Tel Aviv. What was that story? 
Yeah, the Ikhalov Medical Center in Tel Aviv announced on Thursday that they have been testing what they call an innovative cure for COVID-19. It's got a long technical name, but they say of 30 patients given it who were seriously ill, 29 showed quick improvements within two or three days and then were able to leave the hospital and one showed a little bit longer but then was released. So it's the talk of the town in Israel today that they may have seen a breakthrough and if so, it would be a great blessing, another one coming out of the land of Israel for, of course, the entire world. Absolutely. I do hope and pray, and I'm sure they will. Israel will export that technology, that medical technology, to the rest of the world. Benny Gantz made an interesting statement. He's the Minister of Defense in Israel. He said that Israel will take military action against Iran if needed. And with the report from the Secretary of State, Blinken, he made this statement this week. They're about two weeks away from such a nuclear weapon. Good news from Gantz this week, right? Well, it is if you don't want to see Iran with a nuclear weapon, that's for sure. And, Jimmy, the talk of a preemptive strike is growing. Uh, Avi Dichter, who was the former Shin Bet chief and a member of the Likud party, is the latest voice to call for a military operation. And there were reports that on Monday night, Netanyahu, the prime minister, met with the finance minister and with Gantz, and they discussed funding of up to $2 billion for a new military operation against Iran. This comes as the Atomic Energy Agency's confirmed that Iran has opened a second series of centrifuge uh, uranium enrichment machines in uh, Natanz in the underground facility they have. So uh, they continue to race towards a nuclear weapon, it seems. They also tested a ballistic missile uh, earlier in the week, a three-stage missile that could reach Israel and other areas in the region. So it's getting real tense, and uh, it looks like there could well be some sort of an operation. David, I wonder what the response out of Israel is to a statement made by the former United States ambassador to the United Nations, Nikki Haley. She said that President Biden seems to be snubbing Israel and cozying up to Iran. What's the response out of Israel? Well, the latest example of the cozying up was President Biden's speech at the State Department this week in which he announced that support for the Houthi rebels, as they're called, in Yemen, south of Saudi Arabia, would be suspended and that the war should end. Well, of course, that's Iran's proxy force in Yemen that's now got drones that can hit Israel, etc. So certainly there's a move away from that. There was more criticism of Saudi Arabia, but the president reiterated that they would still support Saudi Arabia overall. But again, talk of this uh, nuclear talks beginning again with Iran, and uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu once again spoke out against that, saying it was dangerous. But all this, Jimmy, coming in the background of more military action, Israel striking near Damascus Airport on Wednesday, and that was after they said two cargo jets arrived from Tehran at, at that airport, carrying for sure supplies and probably more men, and that was quite an extensive operation. Israel also hit near Kenetra. We talked about that last week, a buildup of Syrian forces there, also a Hezbollah outpost there, and that was attacked with rockets and uh, some drones and some helicopters. Uh, Israel did admit they lost one drone, and earlier in the week they lost 
two drones down near the Gaza Strip. So that's not good news. But, Jimmy, basically, like I said, the war is ongoing, and actually clashes are taking place. But we're not at full war, but it's sure looking ominous. You know, I'm glad you brought that up to our attention, David, because I was going to ask you about a statement coming out of Syria this last week. They said they're ready to respond to any Israeli aggression. Looks like they are getting help from Russia to do exactly that, aren't they? Well, they say that uh, their anti-aircraft missiles struck that drone, not Hezbollah's, and they claim that they took out several surface-to-surface rockets that were launched by Israel into uh, southern Lebanon and uh, near Damascus. So there's, again, combat incidents, acts of war actually taking place already between Israel and Syria. Uh, But the Israeli establishment has said, again, they're not going to stop attacking Iranian positions and allied Iranian allies' positions in uh, Lebanon or Syria or anywhere else as long as Iran is on the warpath. And earlier in the week, they struck again at bases linked to Iran in eastern Syria, a conduit of weapons coming through there, they said. So ongoing action for sure. David, last week you reported to us that Prime Minister Netanyahu was going to visit with President Sisi there in Egypt. However, Sisi made in this statement this week it's going to be conditioned on whether Netanyahu's visit will take place if indeed he agrees to the two-state solution. What do we know? Well, again, the uh, peace accord between Egypt and Israel exists. It remains, but it's a cool peace, if not a cold peace. And, uh, yes, the Palestinian issue is back at front and center, basically because of the change of policy at the White House, Jimmy. And as the uh, moderate Arabs see uh, Washington support for them decreasing, and that's how they see, uh, for instance, no longer backing the Houthi rebels in Yemen, as a weakening of those alliances, they're going to go a different direction, and they're going to once again speak up about the Palestinian cause at every opportunity. This also comes, Jimmy, as Netanyahu, for the third time, has postponed a visit to the United Arab Emirates, uh, but that's due to the coronavirus. The airport in Tel Aviv is completely shut down, and the prime minister felt he couldn't violate that by taking a private jet or something to the UAE. It was just going to be a three-hour visit anyway, but an important one symbolically, and that's now been put on hold. Elections upcoming, David. We know that in Israel, and they're going to be sometime, I think, March the 23rd. But the polls are indicating that there are some pro-Third Temple politicians that are becoming lawmakers. Give us a quick look at the upcoming elections and the fact that these guys who want the Third Temple to be built are becoming lawmakers. Well, Jimmy, the deadline for filing to run in the election was Thursday, and 39 parties made it onto that list. But among them was a new party that's a combination of two um, religious and right-wing parties that were polling below the threshold to actually make it into the Knesset, but they announced a joint list, and uh, that shows they'll have five seats uh, possibly in the new Knesset, and that includes three of their members that are openly uh, talking about rebuilding the temple and supportive of that. So if they do make it into the parliament, as, as seems likely, 
that will be the largest number of openly pro-Temple, as it were, uh, politicians in the Parliament in modern times. David Dolan gives us a Middle East news update. For each and every one of us who are students of Bible prophecy, this is a key report, and that's why we bring David to the broadcast table on a weekly basis. David, thank you so very much, my good friend. Appreciate it. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Itamar Marcus, he heads up Palestinian Media Watch, going to be talking about the Biden administration restoring funding to the Palestinian Authority. Will any of that money be used for terrorism? We'll ask Itamar that question when we talk to him right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy D. Young. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move into our second half hour. Want to remind you that at the end of this half hour, we're going to be talking with Mike Gendron. He's going to reveal to us what the Pope's video for the month of January had to say to the Catholic world, something about human fraternity. Sounds like all religions in the world coming under one roof. Sounds like Revelation 17 to me. We'll get to Mike Gendron in a moment. But right now, we want to go to Itamar Marcus. He heads up an organization called Palestinian Media Watch. Their address on the internet, palwatch.org. I would suggest that you go there and request his newsletter that comes out alerting you of really what the Palestinian media is saying to their own people, but not necessarily to the world. Itamar, it's great to have you along on the broadcast today. Let me get right underway, if you will, please. I noticed that President Biden recently restored funding to the Palestinian Authority. Now, what does that actually mean? All the funding, a portion of it, or what is America going to be responsible for in the funding of the Palestinian people? Well, as far as I know, no money has actually been transferred to the Palestinian Authority yet. It's been too soon. But what he said is that they want to reinstitute humanitarian funding. Now, the reason they're saying this is very simple. 
that right now American law prohibits funding the Palestinian Authority. It's called the Taylor Force Law, named after American veteran Taylor Force, who was murdered in Tel Aviv. And when we, Palestinian Media Watch, pointed out that the family of his murderer was being rewarded with monthly payments for life because their son was killed in the act of terror, the American Congress was outraged and they passed a law prohibiting America to fund the Palestinian Authority until they stop rewarding terrorists, which is a very reasonable law. And as far as I remember, it was passed not just by Republicans, but many, many Democrats supported it as well. What President Biden has announced is that since there's a law in place and it would not go well with the American people, I think, to cancel that law, what they're apparently going to do is, is pass another law which bypasses that law, which is going to say something like, based on statements that I've heard, it's going to say something like, um, the United States will give humanitarian funding to the Palestinian Authority, education funding, uh, etc. Those are two things that, if I understood correctly, the Secretary of State mentioned, uh, humanitarian issues and education. Now, you ask, what does that mean? Anyone who funds Palestinian Authority education is funding terror support. The Palestinian Authority school system glorifies terrorists. There are 31 schools named after terrorists. There's, there are six schools named after mass murderer of children. We've seen interviews with those children on TV who say that the that Dalal Mugrabi, who killed the 12 children and 25 adults in a, in, a, in a bus hijacking, that she's a role model for us. So just the names of the schools right away is turning 31 terrorists at least into role models for thousands and thousands of children who go through those schools. In addition, the school books themselves talk about that same terrorist and say about that particular terrorist, everyone wants to be like her. Well, you're telling children that they want to be like a murderer of 12 children and, uh, 20, and 27 adults. So this is the education. So if America starts funding Palestinian education again, and these are just a couple of examples, obviously the, the whole school system is rotten, then they're funding terror promotion. So the United States just think very carefully what they want to give money to, and none of it should be going to Palestinian education unless they... First, change the school books and first stop using terrorists as role models for the children. Itamar, would any of that funding from America go towards paying the stipend that is promised and given to those terrorists who may be jailed for those terroristic activities, supporting them while they are in jail? Would any of that funding go towards that? The United States government, I'm sure, will make sure that no funding directly goes to that, but it's really willful blindness because if they give money to the Palestinian Authority so that they will pay for its social welfare system, then the Palestinian Authority has money to reward the terrorists in jail. So America is going to be fooling themselves. If they want to follow the message of American law, that the Palestinian Authority is not worthy for funding, as long as they reward terror, they are terror supporters, then they shouldn't be giving them anything. Because the more that Western countries give funding to the Palestinian Authority, it makes it easier for them to continue rewarding terrorists. I also understand that President Biden is calling for a two-state solution for the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I thought that train had already left the station. What do you know? 
people are recognizing that the Palestinian Authority is not interested in a two-state solution. They say it openly. We've had top Palestinian leaders on television talking about the stages plan, get Israel back to what was the dangerous, dangerous lines that Israel lived in until 1967, where our entire country was nine miles wide, get Israel down to those borders, and then it'll be very easy to destroy Israel. So most people in Israel recognize that a two-state solution, given a Palestinian authority that promotes terror and tells its people that Israel will eventually no longer be a state, uh, will be replaced by Palestine, they know that that's not a realistic thing right now. So Joe Biden is trying to reincarnate a, a, a dead process, and I think he is going to be disappointed, just like President Obama was disappointed. President Trump tried a different process, but he was disappointed because the Palestinian Authority has rejected everything that any president has arranged, that any Israeli has offered. They've always rejected anything and everything, because ultimately what they tell their children, which is that eventually Israel is going to be replaced by Palestine, that's their real message, and they're not willing to compromise on anything else. Itamar, from your reports, I understand that the Palestinians are getting ready to go to elections. About time, I would imagine. They haven't had them in a number of years. However, I understand Mahmoud Abbas, who will again run as the president of the Palestinian Authority, has threatened to kill any of his opponents in that upcoming election. Can you update us on that? Well, Mahmoud Abbas doesn't want to give up his power. I mean, you just look, he was elected, as you said, he was elected in 2006 to a a four-year term as president, and he is still in president now. So it's clear that he doesn't want to give up the presidency. I don't think he's really threatening to kill anyone. There might have been rumors about that. There might have been things said. But in terms of the presidency, he probably has a safe position because Hamas has announced that they probably will not run for the presidency. So what you'll end up having is Abbas and maybe another person in his party running against him. And there aren't that many very popular people in his party except uh, for one person who happens to be in jail. So I think he will end up being the uh, possibly the lone candidate running for the presidency. But there will be a, a proper election for for the parliament, and it should be interesting to see if Hamas will win like they did last time. You do believe, then, that there will be a Palestinian election, and that possibly within the next couple of months? Well, the date that they've announced is May 23rd. Whether there'll be an election will probably be determined on February 8th. A couple of days from now, they're having a meeting in Cairo with Hamas and the Fatah leadership, and, and actually other parties as well are going to all be there. And they're going to try to agree on some kind of procedures. What may happen is that Abbas, who is very dictatorial in everything that he does, he might make the rules so difficult for Hamas that they just say, you know what, we're not going to run in these elections because they're rigged and they're a farce. In which case, you'll have like the Soviet Union years ago, they would have, they'd have elections with one party running and one person running, and they would celebrate their democracy and say we had 99% of the people who voted for you know, the, the prime minister who was in power. So it might end up being something similar. But like I said, February 8th, the starting meeting, so a few days after that, maybe by the 10th or 15th, we will know if there's going to be a serious election or not. I do know that President Biden has put on the pressure 
to Mahmoud Abbas to have an election. We'll have to see how that all plays out, and we'll do that with our good friend and broadcast partner, Itamar Marcus, who heads up Palestinian Media Watch. Remember their website address, palwatch.org. Itamar, thank you so very much. Very important report to us as we want to keep abreast of what the Palestinian media is saying and what the Palestinian people are doing as well. Thank you, Itamar. We'll talk again soon. Great being with you. Bye. Very important report from Itamar Marcus. He heads up the team, Palestinian Media Watch, for the purpose of alerting the rest of the world what really the Palestinian media is saying, not only to their people, but to the world in a plan of propaganda to allow the world to look at the Palestinian media a bit different than it really is. Well, we're going to switch from the Middle Eastern region to the European Union. And the man who covers that region for us, John Rood, longtime resident in Brussels, Belgium, headquarters for the European Union. And John, let me get right underway. There is a statement coming out of the Biden administration that the United States is going to have to use Turkey to be able to counter Russia. Now, I know Turkey is not a member of the European Union. However, they are a part of NATO. What's the latest on this report? Turkey is a, you know, a very strong uh, national presence in the region. And uh, it is important to realize that Washington has come to the conclusion, certainly, that Turkey is a very strategic partner in the region and is a member of NATO, as we know. Turkey's main concern has been pressing its own identity in force in these recent years. But when you put all the puzzle pieces together, Turkey has been a force that contains Russia to a certain extent. Russia, you know, has had expansionist policies in, in different regions, of course, Crimea. Uh, and the Turkey presence in the Navy uh, in uh, Syria, for example, the Black Sea. So Turkey has bought Russian military systems. I think they're basically working on establishing their, their own presence, as we know. But at the same time, if President Biden is serious about Russia and NATO, then uh, Turkey will have a huge uh, geopolitical standing with its military clout. So it looks like they're working to bring Turkey back into the fold, but Turkey is highly independent. John, we have in our conversations talked about China and the impact they're trying to make on the European Union. However, interestingly, in their Belt and Road Initiative, which is China's effort to take control of at least trying to put together a control over Europe and also the Middle East and the Far East as well. It looks like a little country, Romania, is going to stand up to a major superpower, China. They're not going to allow China to get involved in an infrastructure project there in their country. Is this a show of something yet to come by other countries or just Romania standing alone? Some of the Eastern European countries have had to take strong stands in the face of the entire European Union consensus. China has enormous 
infrastructure plans for Europe, as you said, uh, the Belt and Road Initiative. And actually, it's known as a debt trap diplomacy, where there's uh, loans and ends up actually gaining assets in these countries. Uh, In Africa, China has an enormous presence. And China in Romania was slated for a $7 billion nuclear energy plant and also for missile defense. And uh, the Romanian government has just, you know, come out and said that this is not going to be good for us. It's an unfair competition. And there's also been some negative results working in other countries like uh, Montenegro and so forth. So they're really uh, swimming upstream to take a stand China has used this system for bringing their influence into many countries. John, you are very knowledgeable of the history, especially of the European Union and the Europeans as well. There's an op-ed in a Palestinian Authority newspaper that is saying Europeans created Zionism to get rid of their Jewish problem. Any validity to that article at all? Absolutely amazing. Uh, We saw recently as well other official uh, Palestinian Authority communications, television, uh, newspaper as well. And so, yes, the op-ed report came out and and said that uh, Europe essentially fabricated the Zionist movement so that uh, Jewish people would leave Europe. That's absolutely an amazing fabrication. And then as well, they're saying that They wanted to weaken the Arab world and divide it, and so planting Israel in the middle there. So I would say the uh, Palestinian Authority news is uh, not very reliable. There's certainly great propaganda, but it stirs up many, many people. And if you hear something enough times, the people there begin to believe it. You said an interesting statement there, John. They're propaganda. Exactly. They are a propaganda machine. That's why we often have Itamar Marcus here on the broadcast to help us understand all this propaganda they're spewing out to the world. Well, one final question for you. Looks like Denmark has made a stand against Islam in reality. They're saying they are not going to adapt their country to Islam, but Islam will have to adapt to Denmark. What are your thoughts on that? Well, there's been a lot of uh, tension in Europe, you know, and the real issue is the growing influence of Islam in the European Union. Uh, we saw this to an enormous extent in Belgium, and trying to be politically correct, there has been a lot of freedom for uh, immigration, uh, although those things are not reciprocated by the Islamic countries, but so uh, the Danish prime minister came out and said their goal is to have zero asylum uh, seekers. Zero. Uh, and so they see that this has been a threat to the social cohesion in their country. And uh, that's just a fact when you look at, you know, the numbers and the results and what's happening. And, of course, it's a very, very sensitive thing in that regard. But notice that if you run the numbers... It says that with a high migration scenario, um, the Danish population would be 16% Muslim by the year 2050. 
And so this is something that has been taken note of, and the Danish prime minister says we want to bring asylum seekers to zero. Very interesting development there in Denmark as it relates to the Islamic problem, not only in Denmark, but the entire European Union. We'll stay on top of that story with our guy covering that part of the world, John Rood. John, thank you so very much, good friend. We'll have another conversation next week. Thank you very much. Very important conversation with John Rood as he focuses on the European Union. The European Union key politically because prophetically they will be the revived Roman Empire as spoken of in Daniel chapter 7. That's why we keep in touch with John and his reports on the EU. Well, we're going to now bring a friend and broadcast partner to the table that's going to help us understand what's going on at the Vatican in Rome. Mike Gendron is the man who heads an organization that is called Proclaiming the Gospel. Their web address, proclaimingthegospel.org. And Mike, you sent me a newsletter recently. By the way, those listening to the conversation can go to your website and subscribe for that newsletter. But in the newsletter, you talked about the Pope putting up his monthly video. Now, I understand he does that on a monthly basis, and the one for January was very, very interesting. It was talking about something he's referring to as human fraternity. Tell us about that video, will you please, Mike? Well, sure, Jimmy. The Pope has really pushed the agenda forward for an ecumenical movement that would gather all professing Christians under the power and influence of the papacy, but he's also gathering all the religions of the world together. And so what he's done in this video is to state that he is open to the Father of all people. He goes on to say that we are to pray for those in other cultures, other traditions, and other beliefs, because we are all brothers and sisters and we must not fight anymore. We must come together in unity. And so it's clear that Roman Catholic Pope does not understand Scripture, because clearly in Scripture we know that not all people in this world are children of God. In fact, we know from the Bible that there are two different fathers, two different spiritual fathers. One is the devil, and we read in First John chapter 3, verse 10, John writes, It is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And then the Lord Jesus himself confronted the apostate religious leaders in John chapter 8, verse 44, and he said, You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So clearly the Pope either doesn't know the Bible or he chooses to ignore the authority of God's Word, calling everybody brothers and sisters, submitting to the same Father, the Father of all creation. In that video, there was a major term used, human fraternity. Can you explain that term for us, define it? Well, sure. It just simply means that the Pope wants all people to come together in full fellowship 
He refers to all people in this world as brothers and sisters, even though they might be involved in other religions with other traditions and other beliefs. And so he goes on to say that religions cannot renounce the urgent task of building bridges between peoples and cultures. And so the fraternity that the Pope is talking about is a fraternity of all human beings. And, of course, his goal is to unite all people together. And, Jimmy, we know from Scripture that that is the goal of the false prophet. And I'm not for a moment suggesting that Pope Francis is the false prophet, because we don't know if we're in the season of the Lord's return. But I do believe it is the office of the papacy. And the reason I believe that is because we read in Revelation 13, the false prophet referred to as the second beast causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the false Christ. And so we have these two figures in the end times, a false prophet and the antichrist. And the false prophet will force the world to worship the false Christ. So we know it's a religious leader who resembles a lamb but speaks as a dragon. Of course, that describes the Pope. He dares to say that he is the head of the one true church of Jesus Christ. He is also a monarch in that he is the head of Vatican City, which boasts of being the headquarters of God's kingdom on earth. And so he resembles a lamb, but when he speaks, he speaks not the truth of God's word, but he speaks with a fatal gospel. And he has the power to make the earth's inhabitants worship Antichrist. And, Jimmy, the most terrifying part about this is that he kills all who refuse to worship the image, and that is the image of the false Christ. We see that in Revelation 13, verses 12 to 16. And we can look back at history, and we've already seen that the papacy has had this power, to put people to death that refuse to worship the image. In fact, Bishop J.C. Ryle reported that those were burned at the stake because they refused to believe that the Eucharist was the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, and they were put to death. And so here you have an image of a false Christ, the Eucharist, and now we fast forward to the end times. We see the false prophet will once again force the world to worship the image of a counterfeit Christ. You've been talking about Revelation chapter 13, and I agree wholeheartedly with your interpretation of that very prophetic passage. But uh, let me bring up to your attention Revelation 17, with the location, as you mentioned, the area of where the Vatican is as that headquarters for a false church in the future. Would not what we see happening there from the Vatican help us to see as a precursor what's going on the prophecy of Revelation 17? Well, yes, I believe that the spiritual Babylon spoken of there would be the apostate form of Christianity, and we know that at the Council of Trent in the 16th century, the Roman Catholic Church officially and dogmatically departed from the faith of the apostles and went on to condemn everyone who believes the faith of the apostles with over 100 anathemas, and so it definitely fits the description of a false church in the end times, spiritual Babylon. But we also have to recognize, and I hope your listeners will pay attention to this, that by the authority of Scripture, the Roman Catholic Church is a apostate form of Christianity. They departed from the faith of the apostles, and they preach a false gospel, which is under the divine condemnation of God. 
And so, Jimmy, as you know, many evangelical leaders today are embracing Catholicism as a valid expression of Christianity, and that's the furthest thing from the truth. We must call it for what it is, an apostate religion that preaches a false gospel that's under the condemnation of God. We must warn people to run from the Roman Catholic Church. If any of your listeners are part of the Roman Catholic Church, they need to repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and come out of her and not participate in her sins of idolatry any longer. A false messiah, a false prophet, and a false church. That's what we're looking at, the preparation for happening in Rome and especially centered around the activities there at the Vatican. Mike, thank you so very much. A very important report that you've just given to us. Let me give that address. You can go and get a copy of his newsletter. You can be on that list. It's proclaimingthegospel.org. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it, buddy. We'll have another conversation, I'm sure, down the road. All right, Jimmy. Keep looking up. Amen. We're going to have to take a quick break. And when we come back in the last half hour, one more broadcast partner That's David James, and David and I will be focusing on President Biden and his relationship with the homosexual community. You do not want to miss that conversation. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. And if you will stay with us this next half hour, that means you will have completed and answered my request for 90 minutes of your time so that I could give you the world through my broadcast partners looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. We have one more broadcast partner, David James, will focus on the issue of the Biden administration policy on homosexuality. By the way, be sure to answer my poll question, if you will. It's on the home page of my website, prophecytoday.com. Scroll down on the left-hand side. Here's the question. Do you believe that Genesis 19 and Romans 1 reveal to us God's disdain for homosexual activity and is a direct message to the Biden administration on its LGBTQ policies? That's the question. Be sure to go and answer it. I now bring to this broadcast table David James. David and I have a weekly conversation I know that you appreciate what we talk about because we get response, email response from many of you that are listening to our conversations. We try to deal with an issue that the body of Christ is confronting, and we help you by putting in place biblical information, principles that will assist you in making a right decision on these particular issues. David, glad to have you along. And uh, let me just begin with this. You know, and you're aware of this as much as I am, we receive a lot of emails each week. We endeavor to try to respond to most of those personally. 
and then we usually select one or two to discuss on the air as well. So I thought we might as well begin maybe with a couple of questions for today. Sure. Well, a couple of questions came from a listener who's actually reading your commentary on the book of Revelation, and his first question is this, uh, why would there be a delay, even the blink of an eye, between when the dead and the living are raised to heaven at the rapture? So, Jimmy, I think Paul's point is more pastoral than it is technical, and so the relative timing is to provide some comfort, I think, for believers who have encountered false teaching about their loved ones in the future, so he assures them that they will be reunited. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul describes the rapture as happening in the twinkling of an eye, which is essentially instantaneous. His second question was, is paradise a different place than heaven? So prior to Christ's ascension, paradise was different and was called Abraham's bosom in Luke 16. And Jesus told the thief on the cross that he would be with him in paradise that day, but on resurrection morning, Jesus hadn't yet ascended. So when he did, I would say he took those in paradise to heaven. Paradise was the blessing part of Sheol in the Old Testament. And then Paul identifies the third heaven as paradise, so the location, I would say, changed. And finally, another listener asked us to help him understand how Jesus will rule forever on his throne in the millennial temple when a millennium is only 1,000 years. So the Lord established the eternal Davidic dynasty in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and Jesus will rule forever from the throne of David, whether or not the millennial temple itself survives the destruction of the present creation. Some great questions there and good answers too, David. By the way, folks, send us an email if you have a question we'd love to Number one, personally respond to it, or number two, talk about it on the air. Let everybody benefit from your question and our answer. Well, David, as we continue to watch the developments in the present Biden administration, one thing that I'm concerned about, I'm sure you are as well, is the pro-LGBT agenda, it seems, that Biden is pushing. Talk to us about that. Well, you're right, Jimmy. Back on January 11th, before the inauguration, the Washington Post ran an article with the title, Biden's Ambitious LGBT Agenda Poises Him to Be Nation's Most Pro-Equality President in History. And the article says, Joe Biden became a fast friend of the LGBTQ community as vice president in 2012 by stating his support for same-sex marriage even before the president did. In that same year, outside an Obama-Biden campaign office in Florida, it was Biden's unexpected support for the transgender community that elevated his status from an LGBTQ ally to a champion. And on the JoeBiden.com website, on the LGBT page, there's actually a page for this. You can find this statement. This fight is not over. Donald Trump and Mike Pence have given hate against LGBTQ plus individuals and rolled back critical protections for the LGBTQ plus community. By blocking the ability of transgender individuals to openly serve their country, denying these people access to a critical health care, and so on, the Trump-Pence administration has led a systematic effort to undo the progress 
that President Obama and Vice President Biden made. So, Jimmy, I would suggest that we ain't seen nothing yet on this. I would suggest the same thing. Not actually good English, but uh, I agree with the statement. We ain't seen nothing yet. You know, one of the most controversial things that's happened so far is the executive order that President Biden signed on his first day in office. And that was related to a Supreme Court ruling from last year. Explain that, David. Well, that executive order was called the Executive Order on Preventing and Combating Discrimination on the Basis of Gender Identity or Sexual Orientation. And last week, NPR ran an article with the headline, Biden Signs Most Far-Reaching Federal Protections for LGBTQ People Yet. And in an article on Politico, that had the headline, Biden DOJ, Nixon's last-minute Trump administration memo on LGBTQ rights, reporting that the Justice Department had taken its first major step under President Joe Biden to reverse the Trump administration's resistance to expansion of rights. So, Jimmy, the background is that last summer the Supreme Court ruled that a 1964 civil rights prohibition on sex discrimination in employment also applies to gays and transgenders, but the Trump administration had argued against that interpretation. So back in 1964, that ruling was based on biological sex and gender identity wasn't even on the, on the radar. But the executive order said every person should be treated with respect and dignity and should be able to live without fear no matter who they are or whom they love. But, but Jimmy, a much bigger problem to me is troubling language in, the, in that executive order that says this. Children should be able to learn without worrying about whether they will be denied access to the restroom, the locker room, or school sports. So this means that there will be biological boys in girls' restrooms and locker rooms. So how long is it going to be before uh, Christian parents can simply no longer send their kids to school? And what if those parents need two incomes? It's a really tough situation. And speaking of the locker rooms, doesn't this executive order also have a significant implication for women in sports across the board? I mean, this seems to be a major setback for the kind of equality that women have tried to achieve for many decades now. Well, you're absolutely right. And a lot of people are upset about this, even in the LGBTQ community. Uh, I've seen Tammy Bruce, a Fox News contributor who is a feminist and gay, speak out against this on Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Martina Navratilova is a well-known tennis player who identifies as a lesbian, and she's also been outspoken about this. In 2005, Tennis Magazine named her as the greatest female tennis player from 1975 through 2005, and she's used cheating in reference to transgender athletes competing against women, although in 2019 she apologized for that comment. Uh, another woman, Alison Bailey, she's a barrister in the U.K. and a feminist and a lesbian, and she tweeted this about the executive order. Girls should be able to access toilet and changing facilities without males, and girls should be able to pursue school sports and compete for college scholarships against other females and not lose out to inferior but stronger males. And, of course, Jimmy, these women are hardly the only ones concerned about this. Back in August, over 300 women signed a letter to the NCAA supporting an Idaho law that bans transgenders from competing in women's and girls' sports. 
And then Abigail Schreier, who is a, re- a writer for the Wall Street Journal with degrees from Columbia, Yale, and Oxford, wrote this. On day one, Biden unilaterally eviscerates women's sports, and any educational institution that receives federal funding must admit biologically male athletes to women's teams, women's scholarships, etc. A new glass ceiling was just placed over girls. So, Jimmy, while Title IX has been used to protect women from discrimination in sports, that can now actually be used against them with this executive order. And, David, in reality, there are a lot of other things going on that suggest this actually is simply the tip of the iceberg as this administration, the Biden administration, seemingly is determined to move the country even further away from biblical values. Exactly right. So, for example, the State Department has now has its first openly gay spokesman, Ned Price, who was at the CIA for over a decade, including time as the National Security Council spokesperson under Obama, and then when he resigned became a critic of President Trump. Uh, also, Secretary of State nominee Antony Blinken has said he'll appoint an LGBT rights envoy, a position that was first created by President Obama but wasn't filled under Trump. And he also said embassies can now fly the rainbow flag again after the Trump administration had uh, put in place a requirement for permission to do that. And then last week, the president ended the Trump era ban on transgenders in the military with press secretary Jen Psaki saying no one will be discharged or denied reenlistment based on gender identity. And for those transgender service members, who were discharged or separated because of gender identity, their cases will be re-examined. So, Jimmy, I called a missionary friend yesterday who's an Iraq war vet to ask him what he thought about this, and he wasn't as concerned about the physical as he was about the psychological and emotional things that often goes along with gender confusion because the military can be a really tough place. And he also said the military will probably work through it the way they did with getting past racism, even before American society it did, which raised the question in my mind, and I discussed this with him, as to whether this might actually speed up the normalization in society, which was a good thing concerning racism, but would be bad when it comes to gender issues. So uh, this is all happening in the first few weeks. David, I know that you deal with the LGBTQ agenda in one of your courses and uh, seminars. What are a few of the arguments that are used by those to try to biblically defend homosexuality? And actually, how do you respond to them? Well, Jimmy, there continues to be growing support for the LGBT agenda within evangelicalism, especially by those under 35. Back in 2014, Matthew Vines wrote the book God and the Gay Christian as someone who grew up in an evangelical home, and I've been interacting with his and other arguments trying to defend this biblically. One is that the Bible doesn't condemn loving relationships between people of the same sex, but Jimmy, that's not true. The Bible doesn't deal with the why question, but consistently condemns homosexual behavior outright in the strongest possible terms in both the Old and the New Testaments. And along that line, they also argue that the Bible doesn't address same-sex attraction and that the term homosexual didn't exist back then. But that's a lie because the Greek term explicitly means a man who has sex with a man. 
And another argument is that because we're not under the law, the laws condemning homosexual behavior don't apply. But by that logic, adultery, incest, and bestiality are also now acceptable because those are condemned in the same passages. The Lord couldn't have been more clear on this if he wanted to. 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11 says this, Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You know, this has a great prophetic significance as well, David. I remember Luke 17, where Jesus said, as it was in the days of Lot, this is going to be in the days of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Indication that as we've discussed this issue, we also at the same time should be looking up for that rapture to take place. Thank you for your research, David. Appreciate your conversation today. We'll have another one next week. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll look forward to that one, too. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, I'll open the Bible, take a look at the book, dealing with the issues that my broadcast partners have brought to the table. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. Today on Prophecy Today weekend, it was a privilege to have my six broadcast partners come to the broadcast table to discuss with me current events happening around this world. We do this on a weekly basis so that you will have a better idea of how these activities 
are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. All of my broadcast partners have great insight, and we pass it along to you in order for you to be up to date as well. In a moment, I'll give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. By the way, if you had to miss any of the reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then to PTRN, that's on the right-hand column of my home page, and there you can listen to any and or all of my conversations that I had with my broadcast partners. That's prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and be sure to tell a friend and or a family member so that they can get this information as well. Now let me give you my prophetic perspective on these reports. Ken Timmerman is the man who covers geopolitical activities in our world. We talked about the new Secretary of State, Tony Blinken. And what he has said about Iran, he believes that Iran could have a nuclear weapon within a couple of weeks. You know, the nearness of an Iranian nuclear weapon of mass destruction has been the cry from Israel for a number of years. Now, even the United States is saying that same thing, which is the same scenario that Bible prophecy calls for as well. Not necessarily that Iran will have a nuclear weapon of mass destruction, but that Iran will be a part of an alignment of nations that will try to destroy the Jewish state. Iran mentioned as Persia, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 5. Remember, Iran is a part of that alignment of nations that will form to destroy the Jewish state. David Dolan gives us his Middle East news update on a weekly basis, and this is key, especially for those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. Now, let me just remind you what he had to say. First of all, he covered the fact that the Israeli Defense Force say they are ready for Iran. Well, that's exactly what I mentioned just a moment ago, but the Bible says Iran, Ezekiel 38.5, Persia mentioned as modern-day Iran, they will be totally destroyed as they endeavor to destroy the Jewish state of Israel. David also reported the United States Senate voting to keep Jerusalem as the capital of the Jewish state. Remember Revelation chapter 17 and verse 17, where it says that God will put into the hearts of of political leaders to do his will. And then David talked about the elections upcoming and how key human government is to the operation of each and every nation, and that would include the state of Israel, the Jewish state, and what they do, key for the scenario found in end-time prophecy. Itamar Marcus heads up the Palestinian Media Watch team, He reported that Joe Biden, the president, has restored funding to the Palestinian Authority. He basically said that will be money for terrorism. Remember, President Trump 
stopped funding of the Palestinian Authority because that money was being used for Palestinian terrorism. And that was foretold in the prophetic passages of God's Word, Malachi chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 35. Malachi 1 says the Edomites, the Palestinians, would return and rebuild. The Lord said, I'll call their borders the borders of wickedness and have indignation against them forever. Ezekiel 35 The Lord says the Palestinians will kill the Jews, that's verse 5, and then steal their land, that's verse 10. God's word is absolute on the scenario for the Palestinian people. John Root is the man covering the European Union, and his update is key also. And it's interesting that Denmark will not adapt to Islam. They are saying that Islam must adapt to Denmark. This report of the power of Islam in the last days is a very important report. The word actually Islam is not used in the Bible. However, the nations that are Islamic today are mentioned as major players in the end times. Ezekiel 38, Psalm 83, Daniel chapter 11. Islamic eschatology is to set up a worldwide caliphate. That's their efforts today. Mike Gendron gave a report about Pope Francis calling for human fraternity, all religions coming together. You know, Mike's definition of human fraternity sounds exactly like the false religions foretold in Revelation chapter 17, which will be headquartered in Rome. The Pope's call is surely setting that stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. And then David James and I talked about the new Biden administration and their policy on LBGTQ, which seems to be a move away from biblical truth. Two key passages would be Genesis 19, a record of God's judgment on sodomy, and also Romans chapter 1, a warning of future judgment coming. Stop by Luke 17 for a moment. You'll see the phrase, as it was in the days of Lot, the days when Jesus Christ will return. You know, each and every one of these reports is tangible evidence that we are in the end times as foretold in Bible prophecy. Remember, the next prophetic event to be fulfilled is the rapture. Then all other prophecies will be fulfilled, which is God's will for the future. But let me remind you, the next event, the rapture. That rapture actually could happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.